We are about to begin the show. The show. Yeah. This is a very special episode with Les Matheson. He's a software trainer at Bloomberg, but that's just the beginning of it. I found him on Quora because he knows a lot about human behavior, our identity, who we believe ourselves to be, spirituality, character, personality, and this ego that we all have but don't quite know how to navigate. Check out this amazing episode because I think you're going to find something that you maybe have overlooked and need to look at again. First off, thank you for being here. I really appreciate this time. I can't believe the amount of work you've put in on Cora, right? That's how I met you. I mm. reached out. My, my wife and I both were reading and contemplating about some of the stuff that you've written because it really got us thinking at a deeper level, at a more conscious level, that gave, gave us more insight into about our, our lives. So I felt that you're someone that I could come and speak to about some of these ideas, which might be too big for, I think, most people to digest and elaborate on. And somehow last time when we talked, it just felt really good because you used different words than I would perhaps because I'm still new at explaining some of these things that I've experienced in my life. Mm-hmm. I haven't been doing it for that long. One of the main questions that found me with you was about being 28 years old and being lost because I'm 28 years old right now and I right. definitely go through waves of being feeling lost and not being sure about my personality or my character. Yeah. So I want to open up with like we that are starting to grow in our consciousness like this, what to do about this newfound understanding where I think it definitely elevated our experiences of life more, but at the same time, I think knowing what we know, it's like, how do we then operate in this world? Like you're in the tech world as well, which is very intellect based and very like just high speed, everything, a lot of moving parts and a lot of, uh, mental, uh, you know, energy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think the, the navigation of that, like, I want to hear your thoughts about that. What would you say? Well, so, uh, you know, I, in my job, uh, where I teach a specific curriculum of technology classes to people who are fresh out of college, basically in yeah. the company, they've been hired by the company when we teach them a particular, uh, curriculum, uh, a lot of them have this sense that they've sort of won the lottery by being hired. Mm. Right. Or, or not necessarily by being hired by my company, but by having completed their education in a field that's in demand, they're not some of their peers from, you know, college or from high school and so forth are uh, struggling to find out their direction. Right. Whereas these guys were already moving, um, you know, half a mile a minute or something. Uh, so all that I'm doing is sort of paving the road for the next stage of their, of their career that they, you know, the company's told you have to go through this training program. So they do. Um but nevertheless, I still between that and between uh, you know people that I talk to who've and I've encountered online, particularly, I do talk to a lot of people who are a lot younger than I am who are kind of in that stage. And there's a lot of these kinds of questions where um, you know, just sort of searching for my values, 
searching for not my values, but I mean searching for oh, our values own values. That what what are our values? Uh, really and and yeah. sort of navigation. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I steer through the world towards wherever it is that I'm going, and I'm not sure where that is. Um, and uh, generally speaking, I don't have a canned answer for people about about what to value, about what to pursue. Right. The the focus of my work, regardless of someone's age, I think is still relevant to somebody who's in their 20s uh, or somebody who's really been, even in their teens, is um, that all of the ways that people answer those kinds of questions or pursue those kinds of questions cross swords with identity, yes. cross swords with <clears throat> our understanding of who we are. Right. So I think of it kind of like if like if there's a wheel has a hub, the hub is who am I uh, or how we answer that. And all of the other concerns that we have, like, will I be successful and who should I love and who should I not love? And how do I know when I'm going down the wrong tunnel? All those other questions pass through this train station. Mm. And if that if that hub is not coherent, uh, it, it sort of bends the light, you know. If you have, for example, if you're trapped in, you know, sort of self-esteem issues or something, that affects everything that you think about your po- the possibilities for your future. Uh, it affects the kinds of choices that you make. Uh, if you are uh, over, you know, overconfident because you were the top achiever in high school because you came from a small high school and it was a small pond. Um, you know, and then you land on your on your <clears throat> face in a larger pond. Mm-hmm. Uh, that notion of who you are is guiding your thinking. It's it's structuring what you what choices are available. So I have this phrase: the spectrum of possibilities. That is, the things that seem really possible to you are largely correlated with how you understand who you are, and that is largely correlated with your narrative about what life is. That is, we we paint a we kind of build a stage mentally, if you will, and uh, conceptually, and on that stage we see ourselves reflected. So, for example, if I I mean just to use a crude example, if I walk onto an NBA court, right? I am five feet eleven, sixty-two years old, and they all come out and start bouncing the ball and shooting three pointers and everything, warming up through the game. I can bounce the ball and I can shoot three pointers too. I might move in a little bit closer, you know, but I'm still going to experience myself as a weak old man who does not belong here. Right. And, and then there'll be some narrative about, you know, why they're tolerating me on the court. Right. Why did they allow this old man to come down on the court? So that's my mind working out sort of the stage. Right. And, and then shining light back on me, but black on my self-concept in context of where I am and what's going on there. So I'm likely to feel awkward. Um, and that awkwardness normally will affect my choices. You know, uh, if if I'm invited, it'll affect how I interact. If someone invites me, you know, to be point guard, I'll assume that they're telling a joke. Mm-hmm. Right. I won't I won't go. Yeah, right. Yeah, I can do that. You know. Uh, for the live game, I mean. So uh, this narrative that the mind is doing, the narration of the world, where we're where we're sort of constantly talking to ourselves, mostly unconsciously, framing what's going on as an ex- as a kind of explanation of reality, commentary of life, a commentary about what's going on, the flow of events, a, a, a unified 
uh, interpretation where the mind is taking the pieces of the puzzle and putting it together a certain way. Sounds like a stream, right? Like if you look at it in technology terms, I thought think of it like it's the collective unconscious stream and you just, you're tapped into it all the time. It's always going through and it has your personalized narrative. Yeah. And it's, well, I, I, I call it a machine, right? Yeah. It feels like that, it. that the, I call it the ego maintenance machine. So ego, the say ego that again? The ego maintenance machine. I, that makes sense because it's what is used to keep that around. Yeah. So that's how – and this is normally how we understand like what I means. That is, we there's some usually unconscious narrative about the world around us and about how we fit into it. And so we sort of see ourselves reflected in that narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and without that narrative – there's the self concept has a hard time finding any ground to 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 be a tangible thing uh so when you're twenty eight for some reason this number keeps coming up um and you're uh you've got a certain set of ideas about where the future might hold uh that set of possibilities is what I'm saying is it's correlated with your understanding of who you are what sort of animal you are, you know, what sort of, what sort of human being you are, the characteristics and traits that you have. And that is correlated with this sort of larger semi-conscious or unconscious narrative about what life is and about what's important and about how other people are, you know, for example, uh, people are always comparing themselves with each other. Right. Uh, and, 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 and will resist typically comparing themselves with each other, but it happens anyway. Am I smarter than others? Am I more attractive than others? And I, am I um, am I lacking something, or do I have something that other people don't have that that distinguishes me? That kind of comparison raises the question: what What's the measuring stick, and how did that get chosen? Mm-hmm. How did How did beauty become the measuring stick? If you're you know, this is very common with, with I women. I just saw right? your answer about that recently to a right. woman that asked about her, um, you know, value judgment being all about how she looks. And she was very upset and you gave a very blunt and honest answer. But anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah. No, so, so and that happens all over the place, right? Yes. If I'm in this technology field, often there's plenty of people who uh, assess themselves, who understand their value in terms of how they rank on a kind of pyramid of technology. It's where you stand in society, groups. I suppose. Yeah, but not just all society, some distinct trait, hmm. right? If I'm if I'm a lumberjack, I'm comparing myself to other lumberjacks, right? I'm not maybe comparing myself. I might be totally uh, yes. okay with I have no nothing about computers, but I can chop down a tree in 30 seconds. So that's my that's my distinguishing characteristic, right? So it's that kind of thinking that I'm talking about that uh, we have a tendency to sort of put ourselves into a pyramid where we see ourselves as being somewhat in competition with other people on certain traits. To Even, what degree do you think is that true? Well, it's a common trait of the ego maintenance machine. When it has... But is it I based on reality? That's That in part is real. That, that, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not based on reality. Mm. The, uh, so I'm saying it's I, beyond I mean, a concept is what I'm trying to get at. Well, these are all conceptual things. But the that's where that- it's interesting because to a degree you have to know where you stand to survive. It, legitimate, fair. So it's because, I mean, like, right? Like, think of it. If if I know that where I am currently in the neighborhood that I'm in with the 
type of technology and the neighbors that I have, like, and what degree yep. of certainty I have about, like, that's very essential to my survival. Yep. I mean, the reason I brought that up is just because my mind started to go, because I tend to go down these conceptual explorations, and I tend to lose sight of, well, to a degree, everything the ego believes is imagined. It's it's historical data wrapped in with input from the outside world, and then some, and these words create this this these ideas and these thoughts, right? So, yeah, but I, I don't know if "imagined" is quite the word for because a lot of times people's not, yeah. people's self concept is often based in part on facts. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is entirely deluded, for example, right? Uh, <laughs> Where's their slider? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but assuming you, assuming you have a reasonable level of like self awareness and you're reasonably yeah. able to face the facts, you may it, it's still nevertheless true that your understanding of who you are is often correlated with or or uh, leaning on those facts. It's like if I don't I don't know who if I, who I am without seeing myself reflected in the mirror of those facts. Yes. Right, and. Uh, so I'm calling this about sort of a big picture concept for this, uh, and I call it other grounding. Other grounding means that, so grounding refers to the basis of truth for something, right? If I do a mathematical proof, the grounding of my proof is the rules of mathemat- mathematics plus my starting conditions. Yeah, right? that's and the reason- important piece. Yeah, the start- well, you have starting conditions, <laughs> you have certain axioms, and then you reason yeah. to a conclusion, and that's the grounding. Um Right now, uh, you know, if you say uh, I have a pink unicorn in my kitchen, uh, what's the grounding for that? Well, I would you, you I, people would expect me to show evidence, right? Right. So the, the grounding is a word that refers to the basis of truth. How do what, we know that this is true? question? Where's the grounding or the evidence to show that you feel loving, but it's a real thing we believe it to be? Well, if you feel something, right? So if you have a feeling. You're you have a, a personal experience of that feeling, right? Yes, you have some sort of internal experience, yeah. and sometimes I I would say I think you would agree to a degree that it, ha- it definitely affects your external experience. Oh sure, you get ex- it gets expressed, right? Yeah, you feel some... like you really love something and you, you express that, right? Yeah. Um, but then the ground for that is your own personal experience in the moment. That is the the way in which you know it's true. Grounding just is a word that says how do you know this is true, right? So if you're feeling, if you have a strong feeling, you know, you go out and you, you meet somebody and you fall in love and you have strong feelings about them on that first date, mm-hmm. um, the grounding for I love you might be, I feel a strong sense of affection and, and joy being in your presence. You know, I would say wait six months, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Especially with COVID, yo. <laughs> But it's just so, so all we're doing here is distinguishing the word grounding, yes. right? So other grounding just means that the what I mean by that is that the ground for my knowledge or the ground for my claim is something other than me saying so. Yes. Right. Sort of my it's something other than just my choice. And who is of the me that is saying it? Well, it's a big topic, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, and and this is so good. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsors. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Well, make sure you connect with Blossom Media Studio. They can help you with your podcast strategy, podcast editing, promotion and marketing, so you can get your time back to focus on recording great episodes. Thanks for being here. <laughs> okay. Because you, you've you just, uh, 
yeah, this is exactly why I wanted. I wanted to get into this stuff right away. And what what is it that this is one of the things I wrote down? Like based on what you know now, what is your philosophy of life then? And what what do you believe that we are all here to do? Let's explore uh, that. Okay, so first I I would have I mean if to be really strict about this, so I have sort of varying levels of of strictness, right? I like that. Like if if I'm if I'm going to answer a question give me, sloppily, give me the extremes, yeah. If I'm going to ask ask answer a question sloppily and be nice and yeah. be done in thirty seconds, true. I will often borrow the vocabulary of the question and try to color inside its <laughs> boundaries, right? Like yeah. you gave me a, a sixteen colors in the crayon box so i'm going to use 16 colors to draw this answer right yes uh, if we got more time and we are allowed to be a little bit less cooperative we take 16 colors rearrange them and come up with 64 colors and now let's draw something right right uh but that takes time because you have to distinguish those other colors and uh you, it, when you try to distinguish other colors you end up with a lot of arguments about what the what the what's the meaning of this is this purple or is this violet or is it slightly off green mm-hmm. you know uh, so having said that, I, I don't hold, I don't say things like, I think we're all here to do a certain jazz as if there was some pre canned purpose or meaning of life that we're here to discover. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, so you could say in one sense that my viewpoints are existentialist in the sense of, uh, well, existential philosophers, I would, uh, that I would agree with. Uh, at least up to a point, yeah. which is we find ourselves in a world where we don't have an answer for that question. And not only that, when we go looking for answers to that question, all we see is our own reflections everywhere we go. So uh, ultimately, the, an existential perspective means that no matter how hard you dig, you never find the meaning of life until one day you realize that you're the one with a shovel and you could have done something useful with your time, right? That you could have made a made it meaningful instead of searching for a meaning outside of yourself or in searching, searching for a meaning. Uh, so, so that's a, a sort of philosophical school of thought that's been around for a long time. Uh, and um, somebody who's claims to be an existentialist would say something like I said, which is if you presume that there is a purpose and then you go looking for it, um, you're sort of asking for trouble, right? And you're, and you're not at, being present then. Well, because you're going to see you're going to see your own projections. Mm-hmm. You're going to project meaning onto life, see it reflected back at you, and then think that it's out there instead of coming from you. Um, so, uh, while I don't, you know, sound like famous existentialists in in, in other aspects of how I think of things, uh, my philosophy, I agree with that perspective that um, I don't. I no longer spend time answering what's the meaning of it all. What's the purpose of it all. I'm pretty clear or I, in fact, actually I'm committed to the notion that I am the source of what things mean. And it's up to me to, uh, uh, generate a satisfactory direction and a meaningful, uh, role for myself. Um, and that I should not be trying to lean on, you know, big picture stories about the way life is. Um, in any case, um, I don't know. I guess that's not very. No, you take for responsibility question, right? for it. I mean, it, it is in a way, and it definitely opens up a, a few more things for me here. I think of, I think of this as like okay, 
perhaps it's it's too big of a question for everyone to want to digest like you know what is this all about what you know the, the whole life thing but let's put ourselves in, in in the shoes of what's happening what i see happening a lot of people nowadays are experimenting because they're home with things like cannabis or with psychedelics and things of this nature that give you in this altered state of experience undeniably where you really see your life or the way I've described it is you see your thoughts as the movie that they are and mm-hmm. you see how you're both inside the movie theater and outside it at the same time. So it's like you see, you don't see where you're really viewing from, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. very much in this, like I've described this feeling as this infinite movie theater. And I'm all, I'm like part of this whole black thing, which is like outer space. And then I have this peephole that the screen and whatever's mm-hmm. on that side of the screen is my life. My yep. life, meaning my character, yep. like who, like my name, what my parents, and what I've observed from like being a baby to now, and like just what I've seen through my senses from my family, and I've taken on because we've we take on what other people tell us about us as yes. information about who we are, because I don't believe that there's enough people that are taught to see who they are. And I would say I didn't know who I was fully or maybe it, it, to the degree of sensitivity that it is now. And perhaps I've always known that's the part as I just needed a reminder always. Uh, and and so I want to get into the idea, the topic maybe, about like when we discover that all these narratives are there and they're not essential but but to a degree like when you're doing something a task your your mind starts to serve you it it does the things automatically to get you mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. results you need and then that same thing is also this beautiful technology let's say that allows us to see these hypothetical visions or elaborations of ourselves in a hypothetical future like i could say with me and my wife and having children and having a home where my whole family can, you know, enjoy themselves, me doing more service to the world in the sense where my responsibility grows, but my situation grows with it to a degree. I mean, the reason I'm bringing this up is because that's kind of how I've seen my life unfold when I did bodybuilding. Like I I realized that if you take on responsibility, you're diligent, you know, things just happen the way they do. But if you're very much prepared and doing what you you know could be doing to the best of your ability then you're just in the best situation to be uh for whatever is to unfold so okay i don't even know so so i mean you you would ask the question about you know so what's what are we all here for right and i and i to pull some of the rug out of the question in the sense of of saying that i don't i don't speak as if there's a purpose that I am reporting on, mm-hmm. right? As if I went up to Mount Ararat and brought down the tablets and here's the purpose of life that I learned when I came down the mountain, right? So the Moses effect <laughs> is he, I am some sort of preacher. I've learned the truth high on the mountain and I'm now bringing it down to the people, mm. right? And I'm not doing that, right? Uh, so consequently, I don't, or I try to avoid making pronouncements about what life is about. 
What interests me, and the thing that I do have a full full blown theory with structure about, is uh, how do we how do we understand uh, who we are now, and what other possibilities are there, and is there a kind of solution to the puzzle? So to say what the puzzle is, you know, when I was a young man, actually when I was a teen, I started sort of thinking in terms of how people would say, you know, just be yourself. Mm-hmm. And people would come up to me and they'd say, hey, just, you know, if I was struggling somehow, just be yourself. And it was kind of funny. I thought it was odd because it seemed like everybody knew what this thing was and I didn't know, <laughs> right? Everybody knew what it meant to be yourself except me. Yes. So I got interested in this as a teen, like, you know, well, what does that mean? Um and so I got, you know, I spent 40 something years asking that question. And that question sort of drew me into one thing after another and one worldview after another and one sort of experimental cultish style teaching system after another. Uh, and, you know, I was a Zen student for five years and so on. I thought I was going to be a Zen teacher at one time. And then I left that and um uh, and then one day I'm kind of sitting around my apartment and, and it, you know, all the sort of pieces came together over a period of a few hours. And I saw that I understood something that I hadn't understood before. And I understood something that not very many other people seem to understand. Mm. And it was this relationship between the meaning of I, that is, what do you mean by I? The relationship between that and the the foundation or the evidence you have for that. Where does that I come from, right? So we all have notion. We all, when we say I or when, we say, when you say something that implies an I, there's some sort of basis where we have an idea of what self means and we have some notion of how it got to be that way. Everyone's like, name is I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did, how did the story of I come to be? Yes, right? I am what, this, that, right. the other thing. So I distinguish now in this in this spectrum of ways that you can give meaning to self, I distinguish between people or viewpoints which forget their origin and those which don't. And mm. particularly I'm interested in viewpoints of self, which can account for the fact that they told that story themselves. That is where did I come from? Well, it's my own narrative. That has a very different quality to it than where did I come from? Well, you know, life made me this way. I bounced around and my experiences forged me, right? Uh, so then the basis of, the, of my existence, the basis of my understanding of self is other. It's life bounced me around or other people influenced me or I had a particular DNA, genetic history. And so the meaning of I is given to me by the forge of life, if you will. Right. And I didn't cause it. I'm not responsible for it. I'm just turned out this way. I can report to you who I am, but I have no real sense of power or authority about who I am. Right. Because the life squeezed me out this way. And this is why I was extruded by the circumstances or by whatever my narrative is about what caused me. The other kind of self is my meaning of self is something for which I am responsible something that I have intentionally and consciously brought into being. And I'm aware of where it came from. And there's no mystery about where myself came from because I participate in its, in its creation. I participate mm-hmm. 
in the evolution of what I mean by I. So the latter, that second category of self is a different sort of animal than a self-concept, like a memory of how I got constructed, right? I remember this thing happened to me when I was five years old and my dad beat me and that gave me an idea about who I am and that has stayed with me. I decided I was going to tough it out. So now I'm a tough cookie because of what happened with my dad, right? Uh, those kinds of stories uh, are the sort of the stuff of therapy, right? Therapists are always digging up these, yes. uh, self, uh, these self-defining narratives. Mm. So, um, so that's one aspect of sort of what I'm teaching or advocating or, or uh, promoting is that uh, that when I talk about true self, I'm talking about a self which narrates itself into existence uh, and knows that it's doing that. Uh, the other is that there's a distinction between um, what I call discriminative meaning and transcendent meaning. So uh, discriminative meaning is this notion that we we take differences – like between black people and white people, for example, right? We take differences and then sort of amplify their significance and importance mm -hmm. and then put ourselves on one side or the other of the line, right? Oh, I have white skin, so I'm a white person. So that means I'm this kind of person and so on. The discrimination is the process of wall building. And uh, when we are reflecting on who we are and trying to understand who we are. And when you say wall building, I think it's important to say because when we start building these barriers, we forget that that's the start of that process. And, and then where do you draw the line? Where do you stop? Yeah, it's you. Well, typically people, when, when a human mind builds a wall, it then interprets reality in terms of the, the, that wall being a real thing. And everything gets spun so that it agrees. It's like an object right? in this hypothetical game and it wants to avoid that thing at all yeah, costs. Yeah, if you have a racial prejudice, right, mm. you will see evidence which validates that racial prejudice and, and you, it, you'll be const you'll constantly getting, be getting you know, uh, reinforced. That belief will get reinforced, for example. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that this that racial prejudice is, is the central topic about it. It's just a good example of discrimination. It's something that everyone's tangible, that's tangible to people. But discrimination, when we're talking about identity, uh, uh, it's, it's like you built a whole bunch of different walls in different topics, put yourself on one side of the wall in each of those topics, and then you have a, now a dependency where in order to understand who you are, in order, in order to feel an existential comfort, like you know who you are and you're and you're solid, you have to stay on those sides of those walls, mm -hmm. right? So there's sort of an intersection, like a, like, as if the, as if Earth, the, the world is shrinking down where you have walls in different dimensions and you keep becoming smaller because you've got to stay inside those walls in order to know who you are. And those and are if all concepts. If you find yourself outside those walls, you, you have a sense of existential discomfort, right? A, a yeah. angst or discomfort, right? So pe when people talk about being in their comfort zone, that's, that's a similar concept, right? Mm. That, that inside this wall, of I'm this kind of person and I've got a sharp boundary where if I cross over that boundary, then I don't know who I am anymore or I don't feel like myself. Uh, that's, uh, that's sort of the second dimension. So, so there's sort of two concerns when I am, you know, trying to teach this, I, I start out after giving some sort of framing narrative with, we're trying to learn how to recognize two different beacons. 
right? It's, imagine you're imagine you're in two life rafts in the ocean at the same time in two different parts of the sea, mm-hmm. right? Somehow you've been split in half, and one half of you is in one life raft, one half is in the other half, and you have two navigating beacons, mm-hmm. and they're different beacons because you need you, what you need is you need the paths of these life rafts to cross so that you can, you can be, be whole, right? Yeah. So you can be whole, right? So what are these beacons? Well, one of them is I want to see the way in which I have divided the world up and made hard walls at or would otherwise just be sort of distinctions. A distinction is just a difference. Lots of things are different than other things. But when you build a wall around that difference, you say these two categories are absolutely different and you can only be in one or the other. There's no freedom to go back and forth, et cetera, right? Uh, you can't mix and match them. Don't mix the peanut butter with the chocolate, right? <laughs> um, don't mix the jazz with the rock. Uh so, so this discriminative thinking is used to construct a concept of self. And that's one of the beacons we want is we want to be able to recognize when we're doing that, when we are building a discriminative, a discrimination based self, a self that's based on hard walls about what X means versus what Y means and the choices of where I'm going to stand relative to those hard distinctions, dualities. So that's one beacon. I want to be able to recognize that. The other beacon is this business of, am I the author of what I understand myself to be, or am I telling a story in which I'm the tail end of the tale, right? They, all, this, all this stuff happened, and that's how I know who I am. Yes. Um, so this self-grounding is, to what degree am I actually an agent, a conscious creative force in life, versus to what degree am I the result of a process in my own understanding, like something that doesn't really have agency because the forces made it what it is. Uh, Would you say so it's a sliding scale between the two or is it? Well, yeah, no, there's, there's sliding scale. I mean, we're, what I'm trying to do is, is, is get people to uh, sort of train themselves to recognize the difference. Where they are in that metric. Like, what, are you on this or that? Like, it's kind or of this, like, yes. well, we have different kind. we have to get in different, get into sort of different mindsets, right? Yes. Most people are not one thing, right? They get in different mindsets at different times, but there's a t- tend to be patterns and there tend to be cycles where you tend to go through different sort of mindsets. Yeah. Well, I think in part, it's like the self-reflection piece that you were talking about is I've noticed in my own life, like what you do in the morning versus let's say, you know, if you took a nap in the day or you wake up and, and it almost feels like it's a a different moment or a different uh, frame of time. But in a sense where it's, it's it's like you go back to your empty state, and then you come back revived again, and then you like start computing all these things again, like the ego processing engine, I guess, like you said, right? The machine, or I don't know how you call it exactly. You're, you're, it sounds like you're you're saying like that the sense of purpose comes and goes. Yeah, that comes and goes because a lot. I think to a degree that's self created as well, just like the I mm-hmm. meaning, right? So. Mm-hmm. But in in these states of like, you know, going to bed after feeling a certain way and then waking up a certain way, and especially if you're, the reason I'm bringing this up is also because in a past life when I wanted to be a bodybuilder, I tried to be very disciplined and I saw how difficult that actually is when some of these things that you're trying to do, you don't fully know if you are going to be able to pull it off, but you say like, okay, I'm going to keep trying to be better at Mm -hmm. just staying true to like what I've said I'm going to do. Like I'm going to eat my meals on time. I'm going to do my exercises. I'm going to do like sleep on time and like, you know, be very uh, mindful of how I spend my time with activities. So I'm 
able to do the things that I feel are essential for me to do, pursue this path that I'm on. And I think to a degree, like getting getting uh, thrown out of that or feeling lost in that, is that just that like that's just the part of the process there, right? Like, and how, what do you say about that? Like, how, how do should we find a way to then keep coming back to the best possible um, narrative that is most conducive to your our, our, us doing the most conscious amount of action? I, maybe that's a very individualistic thing, but have you found any high level sort of things? I guess this is all very deep stuff, not high level, but like, have you found anything that makes sense here in the sense, like when I wake up in the morning and I want to feel that purpose again, that I want to be doing these things, you know, like, I'm not, this is what the beautiful thing about a podcast is. I don't know what the hell I'm trying to say. Well, no, I mean, I I, I, I kind of get a flavor of it, but I have questions about your question, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe if I just say a little bit about the kind of philosophical framework of of values, right? Um, You know, if we ask, well, what should I care about, right? What's worth caring about? Yes. What's worth my effort, right? Mm -hmm. That's That's a question that goes to values, right? What's important? Um. I'm starting from a a claim that says, well, objectively, nothing's important, right? Your yes. your survival is no more or less important than the fact that there's an ant crawling next to you from an objective perspective. Yes, that all notions of value are are a perspective. Someone Another way to look at it is if the Earth blows up, everything goes. You're you're no different. Everything goes. Yeah, it. exactly. What, what yeah. So, so much for your accomplishment, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. the sun the sun went nova, and now we're done, right? So. And that's a very existential thing too, right? Sure. It's like there's there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no external basis. There's no point in looking for exter- for values externally. Um, and what a yet, crude way of saying this is that we're all just waiting to die. We're just like passing through life and finding a way to just get through whatever we need to do. All the TikToks of the clock until it's uh, you know the last sunset. I mean, that's- okay. So so let's freeze frame that for a second. So let's, we get the guy at the bar, he's had a beer, and he now says, we're all just sitting here waiting to die, right? Because I've actually said that to people that are my close friends in a conversation. We were just kind of like, yeah, but we go on. Well, so I like to frame it as a, as a third-party uh, uh, voice, right? Mm, so we can talk so about So we can look that. at it. I see, yes. We can look at it from the side, got right? It, got it. Uh, when you say it's me or my voice, then then other things kick in. You yes. know, to, am I right or am I wrong? That kind of thing. But the, So we get this voice in the bar, and he's had one beer, and he says, you know, we're all just waiting to die. Right. Uh, Can you hear that this narrative gives a particular kind of self? Yes, it has. It tells us something about the guy on the bar. Right. It doesn't tell us that much about life. It tells us about the person who's speaking. Right. It tells us the perspective of the speaker. Hmm. That's not the same as measuring something objectively real. Right. In reality, it's like a giant pool table where all the balls are bouncing off each other's laws of nature, which control what's going to happen next based on what happened in the past, plus chaos. Right. There's this randomness and there's this everything keeps changing. Right. What does that mean is very much a human narrative to ask the natural next question. Right. The guy in the bar in the bar has a narrative called we're all just sitting here waiting to die. And now he's given meaning to the chaos, to the uh, 
to the sort of random law driven noise, uh, if you will, to say it's noise is yet another narrative, right? It's yet another frame that you put over the thing to give it meaning to say, this is all for a higher purpose because God wants us to grow is yet another frame you would put around it. It's just another idea that which one do you believe then? That's what it well, is. Then these are all just ideas that are different, you know, projections. That which one? It's like going to a closet. Which one are you going to pick out today? Which, yeah, yeah. which one are you wearing today? Which which one are you going to load up? Yeah. So that, so that leaves and people when you, when people encounter this kind of inquiry, it's common to have a sense that the ground is falling away. Sort of like it feels wait, like you're not in control of anything. Yeah, well, well, then does that mean that that all of the things I've always thought were important are not important? Does that mean I've been living in an illusion all my life about what matters and that my grand notions about saving the world are no more substantive than, you know, a child's wanting his toy back or whatever? Uh, so the so the so the the sense that the there's a lack of objective foundation for values is something that people will actually fight pretty hard to avoid. Right, because it's if that breaks down that I will like uh, me saying like that person will it's like the 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 identity is wiped clean. It doesn't know what to play. It's just a, it's just a shell. Yeah, so it, because I'm I'm dependent on typically speaking the ego is dependent on a narrative about values for its existence, for its significance, for its valuation. Mm-hmm. I don't mean anything. I'm not important. I don't matter unless I have a particular narrative about what matters and I'm loyal to that. Right? I'm the sort of person you can trust to do the right thing. Right? So I've got a bunch of ideas about what the right thing is and I'm loyal to that. And that's my, that gives me part of my identity. It gives me a sense of existence and significance mm-hmm. that I would not have without this notion that there's an objective right and wrong that I am loyal to. I'm a soldier for what's right. Yep. So that that narrative gives me an identity, gives me a sense of being, and uh, you will really have to fight pretty hard to get someone who's committed to that to give that up, and you really probably just can't. Well, and and it has to be someone that's wanting to, you know, they have to be willing to explore to that level. It's a voluntary thing, right? So, generally speaking, the the kind of inquiry that you and I are talking about, and the the kind of uh, the sailing the boats towards the common location where they can, where the two green lights, you know, the green light, when you're pointing the boat in the right direction, the light goes green, right? Yes. That is you are, you are untangling the discriminative thinking that puts up walls on the one hand in one boat and the other boat, you are untangling the kind of thinking that treats you as a product of something as opposed to a source of something, Right. A, a source is a is the original place of where something comes from. You don't ask, well, how did the source get that done, right? A source is like a white light hole into another universe where you can't stick your head in and ask where it came from. It's just that's that's where that's just what are, it is, right? Normally, we live in a narrative, uh, a cause effect narrative, where we attribute each effect to a cause and then that cause in turn we attribute to more causes right so we don't have any sources in our effect only narrative right you have a cause but that's only because your frame is limited 
right? If you ask, well, why did that cause happen? You have to go deeper still and you find more causes that caused that thing to happen yes. and so forth. So you never get to what's called a first cause in that kind of logic, right? You never get to anything like God saying, let there be light, right? You can't ask, I mean, I'm not a religious person anyway, but if God says, let there be light, suddenly there's light, there's no point in asking how he did that because yes. that's first cause. If the Big Bang, you know, scientists have struggled to understand what happened before the Big Bang or whether that question is even meaningful. Why? Because it's first cause. When you have first cause, you don't get to have an explanation of how that happened. The first cause is the source. So when I'm talking about a sourceful self, I mean, there's kind of no point in trying to analyze the self that's being sourceful to ask how it came up with that. I see. Right. It's like, what is the awareness, like the infinite awareness that's watching all this? It's the infinite awareness that's watching yeah, yes. all this. Yeah, yeah. shut it? up, right? Like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. like, you're because just, you're a... just going to chop it up into pieces and you won't, and what you walk well, away with it, if you've chopped it into pieces, won't be meaningful, right? I like, I'm sure you're familiar with Alan Watts. I like oh, yeah. some of the things that he says about this, where he goes, you know, words are going in circles here, all defined in terms of other words. Yep. What's the place beyond the words? You know, if you notice the vibrations, and the way I've taken it is the words that you have associated meaning with are meaningful vibrations. Otherwise, it's just noise. Mm-hmm. You look at music. What is music? I'm a drummer. Just a splashing and banging and clashing and all this stuff. It's meaningless. Right. It's nonsense. Yet, I've played and performed in front of thousands of people at a time, and somehow it feels like we're on something. Yeah, so actually you just brought up a topic that that is where I was going. Well, that's right? good. Which is, which is <laughs> music, right? Yeah. That music to me music is is one possible metaphor mm. for for meaning making that isn't incoherent ranting. Right? If mm. if if you are the meaning maker, which is what I'm saying is that the human mind if you will is the meaning maker, is the thing that makes things meaningful. What does that just mean that we're like, it's all total chaos, right? That it, one person A makes meaning A11796 and then meaning A3945A and there's no relationship between them. And person B makes <laughs> meaning B792, you know, just total chaos, right? Uh, my intuition about this, and it's not it's something I can really prove, is that it's essentially a kind of math. That the reason math the reason music appeals to people, music is very much math. Of right? course, yes. The math of rhythm, the math of harmony, it. the math of melody, the math of musical note relationships. It's layers. Yes, layered, layered mathematics, yeah. right? And that there's a kind of math to meaning that I don't mean to try to turn it into formulas and a textbook of math, but there's a kind of, when we talk about harmony or unity or... Um, uh, commonality or uh, transcendence, we're kind of talking about math, a kind of math of being human, uh, where even when you talk about, you know, I want to be whole, that has a resonance for our minds, for our emotional state. When people, you know, when people have been uh, broken up, you broke up with your spouse and everyone's sort of raw and ragged and torn emotionally. And then you finally have the conversation that needed to have all along and you're willing to let go and she's willing to let go. And you have a sense that the relationship has become whole again. It's not what it used to be. And it's not what you ever thought it was going to be, Mm. but somehow it's okay. And somehow you're both 
your integrity as beings is preserved and your respect for each other is intact. Yes. And there's a unity to that. There's a wholeness to that. Well, what is that? Well, it's a little bit like music. It's a little bit like the resonance or harmony, the, the, the vibrations of relationship. Well, speaking of whole, right? Like this is meaningless to think about because it's an experience that I'm like recalling at this point where when I'm in the middle of playing and I have this real good groove going on and it's just kind of being manifested through this body and all this synergy is happening and I can't even explain how it's happening because sometimes I'd like, I can't replicate it if you had asked me to. It's yep. a very moment based thing. But in that moment, I'm not concerned with am I a whole or what's my purpose in life? Because in that moment, that is yes. me full, full on being yep. who I am. And being who I am doesn't have any meaning to anyone except just if I were to think about it, I suppose. I guess I'm saying a lot of it, this problem comes from us trying to think about this thing too much. And I think for me sometimes and others, the challenge is like, let's say things come up around, you know, doubt or I feel too much of this comparison or these thoughts, I'm not able to get them out. Or I don't like, for example, I know that I'm, I'm not my thinking. That's not who the my I truly am. But then, okay. what is, what is it that, that like I'm not able to shake off this, this, uh, this narrative, this idea? This is not that's not conducive to me being in the most open whole state. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I if I understand the question, it, it sounds. I mean, I, I would approach that from this notion of the ego maintenance machine, right? So this is a no, this is a concept I made up. You won't find it in the psychology books, although you find plenty. Oh, of I love it because it. you're going to have it in your puzzles book. Well, you, 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 there's plenty of, there's plenty of basis for this in psychological uh, uh, theory, yeah. but I'm not a psychologist and I'm not trying to teach psychology right. and, I'm, and I'm not that interested in, you know, having it featured in the books of psychological uh, uh, theories and so forth like that. I just want to give it's a, it's a quick it's a quick fix conversation about about human psychology, right? So the notion of the ego maintenance machine is that the mind is trying to model the world for survival, right? right? The, the brain is not just this detached abstraction machine; it's got a purpose in life that is that it was evolved for. It has tr characteristics that are optimized for survival, right? We don't think randomly. We don't think abstractly in pure nothingness. We think in a context where uh, with a machine on our head that is tuned for survival and mm -hmm. traits that, that succeeded did so because they helped us survive. So one of the things that we want to do is we want to understand the world around us. If you just cover a really powerful computer and you drop it in the middle of the world, it doesn't necessarily want to understand the world around it. It doesn't care, right? It just does whatever its programming says. But the human brain wants to understand the world around it. And in order to understand that, it also has to understand me. It has to understand what I means because in order to survive, as you had mentioned earlier, you've got to – you got to understand what your capabilities are. You exactly. understand your relationship to other people. You understand where you are on the totem pole relative to how you have to be able to uh, imagine how other people see you so that you can make appropriate choices about how they're going to behave when you interact with them and so forth. Right. So there's all this stuff going on that's sort of survival oriented. And it's, it's as if the mind is soaked in survival juice and uh, and that influences everything that we think and what we uh, and particularly what we think about ourselves and how we construct ourselves. 
So the ego maintenance machine is just this notion that my identity or my sense of who I am has a certain stickiness to it. It has a kind of uh, inertia over time, like a rolling ball, a momentum, and that that comes from the mind's biases to once it's got a concept of self, who I am, it wants to keep that thing together because that promotes survival. That promotes understanding. I can now predict how the world is going to behave. That helps me to survive, right? I can, because I'm a part of how the world reacts to me, understanding who I am helps me understand how the world is going to deal with me and what the possibilities are available and what things are likely to work and what things are unlikely to work and so on. Uh, and that there's a survival bias to all that kind of thinking. Um, so, so if there's a machine and it most functions unconsciously and it has a kind of prime directive, like a grinding goal that it won't ever let go of that says survive, survive, survive. And that machine gets its notion of self by a process. that's also kind of unconscious storytelling. You get this, you know, sort of package that is considered to be me that's stored in memory and keeps recycling Mm -hmm. over and over again. And you have instincts which want to protect it, which want to keep it alive, which want to move it up the pyramid and help it to dominate others or help it to win the game or help it to avoid uh, having other people take advantage of it. Well, isn't that why we have families? It's like, what else would you do if you were by yourself on earth? You'd want other people. Um. Well, I, I, I mean, I certainly think that it's, that the way that families interact with each other has that has survival has survival flavoring to it. Well, it's almost like think of it like from a like my grandmother's perspective. Like, what is compelling her in her life to want to be alive at this stage? She's seen her grandkids. She's lived most of her life. She's done well for herself in the sense that like she can't, she you know came from nothing in that sense. Had lots of kids, whatever her life story was. But at this point, you go. I, it almost feels to me as if like when we want to have kids or we want to prolong life forward, it's going back to the, we're just waiting until our time is done. It's just to help with that whole process. Otherwise it, it fits that narrative, that identity narrative of like, if I have my kids and I have the service to, to look to, to take care of that, that becomes my responsibility. And uh, then, you know, you have your work and all this stuff. It just feels like that's the that's the machine that keeps us going to do continuously what we're doing in our lives, right? Like, and I guess the meta themes are the survival, and then this machine, the ego generating machine here. Like, it's they're doing this to keep us fed and moving. I don't know. Like, <laughs> that's, uh, is that a question? I'm, I'm, no, I'm, just not. I'm everything sure. isn't a question. I think it's just more. I'm I'm just having dialogue with you. Like that's mm-hmm. what comes to my mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm curious. Well, like, so I mean, I'm, I'm you know the notion of the ego maintenance machine is that it's a it's a naturally limiting thing. That is, in order to ensure the survival of the identity, hmm. you have to do things like not expose it to threats, hmm. right? And that but then how do you grow to- then? I feel like that's part of like to accomplish anything beyond what you've done. Like it's, it's, it sounds like there's a balance thing that's coming up here. Well, it's so I might kind of sometimes I frame it like, you know, evolution uh, cooked us these big brains. Sure. Right? Yeah, for sure. And, and evolution does not have a purpose, right? It's not like trying to achieve something, right? It's not it, it's it, like it's, that beam of light. It, it, it was sort of, there's sort of a fallacy that's, that happens when you hear people talk about evolution, like evolution is trying to make us 
more sophisticated. We're trying to become computers. Common. We're going to be AI. Yeah, evolu- evolution is not trying to do anything, right? It's just the result of the way things bounce. Uh, and we're looking at the result of how things bounce because of the way the laws of nature work. So it's not as if evolution is trying to achieve anything. It's that we have a bias that's the result of having bounced through an evolutionary chain. That bias allowed us to survive, and that's why we're here, right? Is because we have a, evolu- a pro-survival bias that's a that can be explained by looking at what we at the creatures that we beat on the way getting here, right? Mm. Um, that doesn't mean that that evolution is trying to make us better people or something. So, uh, but that bias has produced very large brains with a massive capacity for meaning making, right? For making meaningful meaning. Right. Yeah. Meaning is its own thing. It's, you it's can't like, really express meaning. I guess another way to think of it, it's like it, we've gotten very good at creating very deeply imaginative. Yes. Like, especially with the technology that we have, right? Like the vividness of like the stuff. Because you can close your eyes and be scrolling through social media in your head. Things yes. you've seen, right? Yes. Literally yes. generating UIs in your head. I mean, this is how a lot of programming is done, right? You're, you, and, I mean, when I was a programmer, coding is happening in your head. You're like, yep. I got to go here, do this, that thing. You're like, you got these whole these insane conceptual maps of frameworks that you've just abstracted away without even a way of articulating it i suppose but you somehow do it it's just it's insane but i forgot you were a programmer that's right yeah well not a good one (laughs) wait for at least for a while yeah Yeah. so it's it's kind of crazy to me to like you know have that kind of thinking but then also knowing that all of my thinking in the sense is bullshit in a way because it's just here to keep me busy in this narrative, but to a degree it's required for my survival. Well, so, but, but survival doesn't mean anything, right? You, well, without you know, it, life other, isn't, life isn't here, I guess. So it doesn't if, mean. If, if I ask, if I ask evolution to tell me the purpose of life, if, it's not going to say anything. Sure. I'm I see. Be, I'm just going to. Like I'm from outer space, like what is, what is your like bullshit in your head mean? Like, come on, you know, like kind of looking at that from that lens. Like if you and I were looking at us in, uh, oh, here's an example. Closing your eyes and then seeing mm-hmm. that that space behind your eyelids where it's just infinite. Mm-hmm. What is it? When you take it, what is it? Like, I don't know what it is. Somebody could always oh, your back of your eyelids. Like, more than that. Like, well, what is it experientially? Can you? Can anyone tell me? Like, to me, the way I feel, and this is, I couldn't justify it to you, it feels as if I am in outer space and yeah. in this body and I'm all of it somehow like that yep. infinite black movie theater and yep. and somehow like you know going back to the earlier part of our conversation about like psychedelics and things like this i think you you've exper- experimented with some of these probably mm-hmm. like i want to hear like what is that you know i mean going beyond the concepts and going into more experiential things what is that like well so you you know the 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 power of the mind uh you could say it's 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 marvelous it's it's immense right mm-hmm. it's the best the, thing there is right now you, um, well, to call it best is to, is to assume a value framework, and I want to back yeah, off from right, value, value framework because we want to have a right. I, I mean, I, we can agree over a beer, I know, but I know. so I like that. <laughs> so you have this immense power of the human mind that evolved, you could say, a, a, just as a product of natural law. But that doesn't the fact that we are have a survival bias doesn't. Well, it, while it does uh, uh, sort of steer how we think and what we do and our values and, and it influences everything because it sort of colors everything, it doesn't – there's nothing in that that says we can't be more than what we evolved as. 
right? There's nothing if you if you get it, somebody gives you a big brain, it doesn't matter where they bought it, right? You still there are possibilities that are inherent in having a big brain that uh, that you don't you don't have to say, well, this was a big brain that was cooked up by evolution, so therefore I just have to be a survival machine, right? There's no law that says you must use your big brain only for survival. So you can create art and music and, you know, uh, wonderful things with your big brain. And you're not pissing the gods off or violating the laws of evolution. You're, You're picking yourself up in a situation where you found yourself and making something new with what you found laying around. What you found laying around was this massive imagination and this uh, great power to make meaning. And uh, if you if you see that as an opportunity, yeah, and and you aren't entangled in some narrative about the past about having to justify yourself or explain yourself or you know prove that you're good enough or those kinds of things, right? Then 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 reality starts to look like a an artist's palette uh, and a blank canvas rather than a problem to be solved. Uh, and, you know, from the ego's perspective, where you've got a survival, where you've got an identity that has to survive in a sea of threats, life is just a problem to be solved one after the other, right? It's an endless, when am I going to be done solving all these problems? Well, there's going to be another one, right? But that's the ego's perspective because the ego is trying to survive in a sea of things that don't really care about it or maybe even actively hostile. Uh and so then life's always a problem in life, and the question comes, well, how can I solve the problem of life? Mm. But if you're not an ego, if you're not defined by that narrow uh, meaning of I, it's much more likely that life starts to look like what an artist sees when they go into a junkyard, you know, potential sculpture. Uh, yes, it's old beat up cars, but look at that. There's a transmission that's just the right shape yeah. uh, for what I'm imagining. And... Uh, I'm not saying everyone should be artists. I'm saying that, that that life becomes more like a kind of art rather than a a you know a puzzle to be solved. This is interesting to. because the word that people use for this, and I think I've seen you comment on this on Cora on one of the posts, is manifesting. They think that you can think up something because, to a degree, your thoughts become the things that you create, your actions. Well, assume, assuming you act on them, I suppose. Exactly right. Yeah. So, to that degree, like when we. When we like are th- are thinking in our minds, because we're always thinking stuff, unless we're like completely attentive to our breath or something like this, you know, where your attention is looking, yep. Yep. piercing rather than um, engaging with that thought dialogue. But I can't help but you know, and I'm sure you have something to say about when we're ideating about this 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 uh, this amazing future of self, where we want to be in that future of our of futures like you know self whatever we want to be in that future how do we keep ourselves then still grounded in the present of what we have to be doing and not let that become sort of bigger than the current day-to-day because you know part of it is like the day-to-day life may seem very mundane but it's like when you get to something that you have been maybe dreaming about or thinking a lot about usually those are culmination of long-term things they're not and then they're also in in that sense a moment 
Like, for example, I think last time we talked, I was telling you about I've been seeking to become a bodybuilder and win a, win a, a show. That was all I wanted. I didn't care about, like, money. I didn't care about the trophy. I just wanted to accomplish the, that checkbox to me. And so after well, losing... So you, you're, am I correct in thinking you don't do the bodybuilding anymore? No, what? I don't or do not, Or not as seriously or not at all? No, I don't even do... I don't. I barely work out. I'm fat now. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So I just wanted to see how this fits. Yeah. <laughs> no. So at one point you were a bodybuilder and yeah. in competition and all that stuff, Exactly. Right? Like, like and, and take, have taken all the drugs and everything. Right. Uh, so I did... Because I wanted to take it to the level where... What would it be to be a professional in this? Like, I took it as seriously as I could. Just like... I don't know. I tried to do it as diligently as I could, right, with everything. But at the same time, like the night I won, let's say, yep, on the stage with yep. the first two rows full of people that came just to see me, yep, and nobody's seen how much pain and work I put into being that way, yep. I felt terrible. I was like, "Whoa, now what?" Like, yep. <laughs> you know? So, if I may, just for a moment, please, please. So people, this happens, right? That people pursue a goal, hmm. they climb the mountain, they get their hands, fingers bloody in the process. They uh, they are pursuing a great thing or what something that's held as in very high value, right? And then it, it happens, and there's this letdown, right? There's it's like, well, wait a second, that was supposed to change the world. Hmm. That was supposed to. That was supposed to. That was supposed to. And I would say it this way, that was supposed to put ground under me. Right. That was supposed to tell me who I am. Right. And when it doesn't turn out that way, when I get there and I and I still don't have this sense of being on solid ground, it's frustrating. The visual is like you've climbed this much of the mountain and now you're like, whoa, it keeps going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so there's a there's a distinction here. When when I when the thing that I'm pursuing is 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 a goal primarily because I think it will solve out solve my existential uh, concerns or doubts. It's never satisfying. It's never enough. When the thing I'm pursuing is worthwhile for its own sake, then I'm a part of something larger than myself. And it turns out, or whether it turns out or not, there's more self-expression in it. Mm. It's like so, I would do this without the bigger value. Yeah, when you would when you would get out of the out of bed in the morning to do that thing because it has its own value and you mm-hmm. want to see that value realized in itself. It's like a, uh, I guess it's like a stateless, well, ownerless maybe. Right? Ownerless. There you yeah. go. Like it's a like for example, the activity is justified within the activity itself. Like. Like working out is exactly that, you know, now that you put yeah. it that way, because it's like you go and you, you're going to do this, this, and this, 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 and this, and it doesn't mean, mean it's just movement, right? But you're like, no, but that's what it is. It's just movement. I'm going to do it. Yeah, and that's yeah. it. And I leave. And then I go about whatever else I got to do. But that to, to, to me was like, well, this is, this is what you do. Uh, and, and to, I think part of that is like, I know you've commented about like, uh, not having necessarily a morning practice as if you're trying to get better, but I feel, Having some sort of a thing that you do as a maybe daily training or a practice is very good at calibrating and keeping yourself in that optimal like narrative, I suppose, because you don't deviate too far from it. Would you would you well, agree with that? I mean, just discipline works, right? Um, yeah. I, I I I mean, if 
if you're saying that discipline works, I would agree discipline works. Um, but, but in terms of, you know, if discipline is a tool, what are you trying to build? Uh, and if we distinguish between, I don't want to put a hard wall, right? Because that's yeah, contrary that to sense. what I'm teaching. But if we distinguish between, between I'm trying to build myself, like a, some concept of who mm-hmm. I am versus I'm trying to build something that has value for itself, discipline has value in both of those contexts, right? But there's going to be, I'm just saying there's going to be disappointment of some kind if the goal is make myself into some monumental thing, right? As opposed to the goal being make something that is monumental for its own sake that, mm. uh, that others can participate in, that everyone can appreciate. Um, would you say that's what like a business opportunity would be like an ideally in the sense, if it wasn't just a lot about of businesses the are like that. A lot right? of businesses are that, right? Yeah. Um, we're going to make money, but the money is a little bit, not the entire point. If I just want to make the max amount of money, maybe what I should do is day trading. Yeah. Right. Where I'm just like playing the zero sum game better than other people play the zero sum game, mm. right? That's not necessarily creating anything. Um, yeah, if you look at I don't know Tesla or something like that, I don't know. Like maybe, you're, yeah, I understand. It's not a yeah. You're not creating anything. You're just kind of what are you doing? Right, right. Yeah. So if if, the, if business is all about making money and it's all about how much money we can make, that has a kind of a soul eating quality mm, to it, for right? Sure. And people it has feel a tendency that. to it, it, it. You can't find a resonance between your own values and let's just make lots and lots and lots of money. Yeah. It, you know, a lot of people find that kind of be off putting, and for good reason, I think, because it doesn't give you a place to express a, a deeper uh, commitment about who you are. Um, it just says it's a zero sum game and I'm going to outdo you and I'm going to take your money and put it in my pocket. Right. That kind of thing. Mm. Um, but there's obviously there's a place for making money in business. Otherwise you don't have a business, but, um, anyway, uh, so to, to, to maybe wrap up a little bit more here, I want to know how this journey that you've been on, maybe you can comment about, of course, the, the core piece. I mean, you, you've posted, I think replied to almost 7,000 answers or something, questions, which yeah, is it seems like a lot. This, yeah, that's, <laughs> but that's, that's also six years. So you know, but, it's, but seriously though, like that's not just six mm-hmm. years of like, oh, let me just do this like on the side. You know, like you did to do a degree. I mean, you do a lot of things, but I, I mean, that's a lot of it conscious lot. attention that you've yeah. poured into explaining to the best of your ability. And I don't think that's nothing. That's a huge. I think most most people don't have that type of discipline to do that. I don't even know if this was about discipline for you, so that's I don't want to put that out there. Mm. And it's more of, you know, how has how has that been in your life, and also in the journey? Like, you know, what is what is what has been sort of like the the, the well, thing I'm, to take I'm, away? I'm I'm trying to build something, right? Um, I'm trying to build something that I think has value for its own sake. Uh, and the fact that it's hard sometimes to even say what the thing is. Yeah. Uh, because is it that you don't know entirely what the thing is? Well, no, I think I do know what it is. Uh, at first I didn't, right? At first I had sort of I was so more So it came together and became more of a thing now you can, I see. Uh, so I had this, you know, I had this insight, if you will, on this afternoon, in September of 2014. And, um, this, you know, when I tell the story, the, the story goes through a transformation on that day because things that I had sort of partly understood and heard and wondered about and believed and then not believed and so forth, a bunch of pieces all sort of came together and uh, glued themselves together on that day. And my current perspective is mostly a derivative or an evolved version of what happened on that day. And that hasn't really come apart, mm. right? 
Um, so you could say there was a kind of shift in in worldview or paradigm at that at that point. And now I, when I look backwards, I explain the past in terms of what happened after that, and I you know explain the future in terms of what happened. After that. So uh, what I so I started writing because I wanted I felt well I need to like write a book or something, but I had no idea how to express this thing, and I needed a way to to engage and practice and talk to people mm. and get feedback and hear people tell me that I'm full of shit and whatever. <laughs> oh, so thank that you I for can talking about that. <laughs> so that I can negotiate the territory of expressing this thing. And um so that's really what uh, why I started on Quora. And uh along the way in the long conversations I began to see that uh this sort of theory emerging that is more concrete theoretical principles I have at my hands now that I didn't have on that day mm. where I can use language, where I can uh, tell stories, where I can define vocabulary, where I can, in some ways I had to sort of, for example, I had to give myself permission to make words up right at some point along the line, because I saw that I just couldn't I find do it all the time. That, less. Sorry. I make words up all the time. Okay. <laughs> do they mean? <laughs> yes. They're meaningful to me. <laughs> yeah. So you know, for, for at the beginning, I was trying to coerce what I was trying yeah, to say yeah. into existing terminology, and finding it kept losing things in translation. Right? And I go, oh, I see. I have to make up vocabulary and teach people that vocabulary, and then let's talk about it in terms of those, that vocabulary. So that was something that that you know took quite a bit of time for me to wrestle with about mm. in terms of communication. Would um, you say it's like creating case, a philosophy then, in a sense? No. It, yeah, there was definitely a philosophical. You could say there's a that this would be you know on the shelf with the philosophy gotcha. we're done, except that that's also dry theory doesn't typically do yeah. people any good, right? Sure. There's lots of philosophy books on the shelf that aren't doing anybody any good. Uh, they don't make any difference. Uh, so there's a difference between between having a kind of uh, a movement that's alive versus having a theory figured out and stuck on the shelf where people can look it up if they're curious, right? Uh, a movement that's alive, a, 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 a meme that's alive has a tendency to propagate itself hmm. because of its own traits, right? Uh, its own, you, you, you might lose track of where it came from and that'd be fine. The thing had a wave has its own life, uh, that's distinct from all the particles it picks up and drops down along wherever it's going. So how do you start a wave is kind of one question that arises for me. Like, you know, if you look at the, you go to the ballpark, right. And a wave starts, well, who started that? Everyone, no one's going to be able to answer that question because once it gets going, it has a life of its own. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious in how you start a wave that has a life of its own. And I don't, I, you know, I would not at all mind being forgotten or even whether or not it's even uh, my wave in any meaningful sense. I want, but there's a wave that I see wants to happen. And I uh, am, you could say I'm trying to make that, trying to see how to, how you get that wave going. And I think that it has a particular, that it has a particular structure that a, that a particular kind of ideas that fit together are that are the essence of that wave. And, um, you know, I have no clue how to do that or, but, but it, it, you know, gets me out of bed in the morning. Right. Um, and, uh, if, if that were to, uh, happen, uh, 
being forgotten and dying would not be a problem at all because that wave is what anyone anyone who's involved with it is part of that wave right yeah um uh, you don't so that, there's this narrative there uh, about there's a transcendent narrative in that right a transcendent narrative is a is a larger than you uh conversation about what's worthwhile uh, that you can tune into and that you can get behind and that it lifts you up out of yourself and you find resources you didn't know you had uh, because you're giving to something bigger than yourself. Um, and when people do that, uh, then their actions have meaning. Uh, brushing your teeth has meaning because it's all part of that wave. Right. It's all part of the thing that, that you are giving it's, to. It's part of that process, right, that you've defined to just follow and like talk to me a little bit about you said that people in the beginning didn't you know they said you're full of shit because there's something about trying to talk about things that we i think align with you and i around discovering uh sort of the deeper parts of our our existence and and we want to help other people that are maybe struggling with it to a degree at least i feel like you're trying to do that with your posts and replies and I'm trying to do that in, in a part mm-hmm. with my podcast and with the way I treat people with kindness and with my love and all that and yep. try to be as, as as open as I can with, with what has been given to me. And when, when we do live in a world where that comes, uh, where negativity and other people's strong projections come like that, you know, how yep. do you navigate that? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I've been, I have been told that I'm full of shit many times. Um, and uh, one thing is that I um, I think there's an art. So first of all, I don't want to I don't want to persuade anybody who doesn't want to be persuaded, mm. right? And I, I do don't see wanna, that a lot in your writing. It's not persuasive in any way. It's just you're trying to lay it out as objectively as you can. And it's like you know, take what you will out of it. And if you don't like any of it, then whatever. Like it's. I I do see that, in, at least in the last maybe 100 answers that I've read of yours. I haven't read all 7,000 yet, mm-hmm. but I'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> you will give up before then, believe me. There's, there's no... So, so a lot of a lot of what you know the online debates that go on, for example, sure, are are really ego battles, right? Yeah, it's it's oof. it's my viewpoint, my political viewpoint, or whatever like that versus yours. It's yeah. a and there's a sort of war of ideas. Based because I'm deriving my identity from my beliefs. That's another case where you got a framing narrative, right? This larger, large scale story about the world get, tells me who I am and my, I'm yep. a soldier in that war, right? Yeah. So that kind of identity uh, is one of the things we're trying to unplug here, right? That, 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 that dependent on discriminative narrative, uh, I'm heroic in my own eyes because I'm, you know, fighting with the other, uh, to me, that's like part of the problem rather than part of the solution. When I talk about fragment, you know, the title of my book has fragmented world in it, right? A fragmented world comes from people uh, fighting across these walls uh, for their for their ego's sake. Um, but the so so I don't I don't find people who disagree with me and start arguments with them, mm. right? I am looking for people who have a puzzle and maybe don't know where to go with it or they're stuck or they're frustrated. Mm. And I'll, I'll toss an idea into that, 
into that stew. Right. And see and see if they grab it and want to do anything with it. Right. And often the answer is no. A lot of that falls on fallow ground, right? There's right. no there's no fertilizer there. Mm. Um, but maybe somebody else come along and comes along and reads, and maybe somebody else gets out of it. I've received yes. enormous number of messages from people that I never heard of, never saw them show up in my in my you know feedback online. Yes. Who say you know I read this thing and can you help me understand this like that? And I'm like, who are you? Right? You know, I never, <laughs> you never. Why didn't you ever say anything when no. at the time or whatever? Why didn't you comment? Right? But anyways, the the so there's a sort of random you know, chaos of who stumbles onto these things. Mm. But often the person who asks the original question, they don't respond. They, they don't get it. They, they, you, you, there's nothing, nothing gets awoken there. But there's this notion that you're, that you're sort of throwing a seed and hoping that it has some kind of resonance yes. with, with them. And then they'll start a conversation, right? Yes. And that's different than, you know what, you're wrong. And I'm going to tell you why you're wrong, yes. right? Uh, because that's just all you're doing is triggering ego defenses, and you know nothing meaningful happens after that for the most part. Once you've triggered ego defenses, you might as well walk away most of the time. Because is that the best strategy, or do you have any other pointers about that one? Well, no, it, I'm just it's it's just one thought on the topic, mm. right? You, it, what you said, I think, is a pretty broad topic, and there's a lot of ways to yeah. sort of go at it. Well, I mean, like, for you, I want to know how you've dealt with it, really. I yeah, I, I think of it a little bit like um, uh, when you smack a tuning fork. Yeah, and then you hold it against the guitar, right? The guitar starts to vibrate, right? Yeah, yes. You didn't strum the strings. You didn't do it the right way. You didn't go in the front door. Transfer of energy somehow. And but there's a transfer and there's a resonance. And you're try, you know, I'm always kind of trying to find what's something that will resonate with someone that they can relate to. Yes, that you can then draw them out into a larger conversation. Mm. Uh, once somebody starts to draw, once start, somebody starts to follow. Uh, that lead into a larger conversation, then you can start to to pull harder at the edges of a worldview that has them trapped and they will go along with it and they'll start to push themselves on the shell and uh, try to make the crack bigger. Um, but it's a, it's an art form and it's not like I would claim to have mastered it or anything. Right. It seemed like I've, I've, I'm forever struggling. Well, what, are you, what are you looking forward to then? Like, what is it that you're looking forward to these days, you know, in the short, in the short term, I suppose, that gets you, uh, gets you going? Like, you know, I still have this book that wants to be written, right? Yeah. I mean, I've written it sort of multiple times. Yeah, I mean, it's well almost like now you have a collage. You have to just kind of like... Yeah, this, well, the, a, a, a collage is sort of chaotic, right? Well, yeah, I know. I mean, something I, I, structured, right? Yeah. So, I, I, as as time has gone by, I feel like the uh, the structure of the book is coming together uh, in terms of my own understanding of how to proceed and what needs to happen where, yeah. and what things have to come before other things. Getting the order of things right, for Prioritizing example, prioritizing so life, so that you so that it makes sense, right? You want it to make sense to uh, a typical reader picks it up, starts reading. You want them to come to the end, so okay, now I get it. Now I understand. You don't mm. want them going. Well, I was yeah. mystified by three quarters of this because it sounds mystical or it sounds too, uh, you know, over my head or something. Um, so, uh, getting that, I feel like that's coming together. So, I, in a certain sense, I, uh, all other concerns about what a wave, what would make a wave, take a back seat to finishing the stupid book. I love it, uh, and and it's hard. You know, it's hard to really talk much more about other possibilities. Another thing that has um, that I've thought about multiple times is I would like to have uh, um, what what about a 
uh, a network of counseling, right? What I see is there's a, there's a, I feel like I'm, I'm holding my finger in a dike. And if I were to take my finger off the dike, I'd be, I'd be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. What is on the other side of the dike? Well, it's people who are struggling with something that they hear in what I'm saying. Right. And I cannot possibly talk to all those people. So sure. I have this tiny little hole where once in a while I'll go talk to somebody and say, Hey, you know, we can have a call or we can have a conversation. We can have an email conversation, but that has to be very limited because I have a life and so on. But if there were a network of people, people who engineers. were, who were doing, who were doing this kind of <laughs> exist, what I call existential counseling, debugging, existential debugging. Yeah. Yeah. If, you, you know? if there was a network of people who were, who were uh, competent doing that kind of conversation, yeah. have that conversation one-on-one with people, that yes. network could grow itself and it wouldn't be dependent on how many hours I have in the day, that kind of thing. Right? It's funny that you bring that up. That's something that's very much aligned with what we have thought of for Blossom Media as well. Oh. To become that type of a network where we could literally like, you know, grow into these networks where we are all with the same intended purpose of helping other people blossom their lives. That so kind of like yep. the seeds are there. We're just helping with the water and kind of maybe tilt the plant here a little bit and just let it do its thing, you know? And yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm all for so, that. So the notion, the notion of an organically growing uh, network uh, for is is something that occurs to me as a, as one possibility for how you would get a wave going, hmm. right? Um, and uh, so, I have someone again, I want to connect you with, a friend of mine who has been the catalyst for my spiritual path, and he's similarly, I think, very good people. If the three of us. Or that even the two of you talked, I think you there would be something good synergistically. I think they can potentially help whatever you know something that, sure. that drives this. I want to just put you guys in touch anyway. Um, but there's so much I want to talk to you about, and I feel like I've already taken a lot of your time. Um, but it doesn't feel like I have because it's been just an amazing moment. Like I don't, I don't even know where the time went. Um, I still want to ask you about like your thoughts about when we when the world we view is getting towards automation and AI and what we think is going to happen and how that's going to diminish our experience. Do you have any ideas about that? Because you're also in the technology world, but you are also helping people navigate sort of the day-to-day existential things. I don't know if enough humans are worrying about AI, to be honest with you, but I'm just curious for me, do you see any, do you have any comments about the projection of that, like in our future? Like I don't, I don't, uh, um, I don't know what the, you know, sort of, I don't have a projection about the social impact of AI, mm-hmm. for example, right? And one way you could look at this is, well, what's the social impact? What's it going to do to people's jobs, to people's sense of self? If there's machines that are smarter than they are, for example, yeah. right? All that. Um, personally, uh, I'm, you know, quite clear. I think that my, the meaning of my life is, is, is in my hands. Hmm. And so I'm not concerned about machines somehow undermining that. Right. Um, but it certainly from a social standpoint, you know, societies have a psychology sort of that, uh, that you can subject to that kind of analysis and, and, and ask those kinds of questions and they're meaningful questions. How will, how would, a group of a million people respond to having machines among them that are smarter than they are. Right. Uh, I don't know. That's an interesting question. And I don't, I don't have any particular yeah. answers. About well, I was just, right okay. just something that comes yeah. to my mind based on just, you know, I wanted to see if you had an, a perspective based on your, 
I mean, what I would do with those million people is have this conversation, the ones that you and I are having, right? I would have that conversation with them. Yes, yes, exactly. And so I would love to, you know, after even after this podcast, I definitely would love to have continued engagement with you in any capacity and any amount of help that I can bring to you because, you know, I'd love to be part of that network that's continues to help other people as well, especially in this journey. And this is something that's, I feel like it's catching up. I'm, I'm good at seeing patterns. Mm-hmm. And that's how I learn music. I still, to this day, don't know how to read music that well, but right. I'm very good at picking up patterns and things of that nature. And I'm noticing that there's a real thirst that's being driven up like crazy in people where they're like, they're really, their seekingness is going up a lot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think your content with Cora is a testament to that, mm-hmm. to to uh, obviously uh, an obvious metric. And also the way, I, the, how much... I observe on social media and what's going on with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's it's there. So it's just like I felt the same thing that I'm saying now uh, when I was in bodybuilding because when I started bodybuilding, I was still kind of in the era where people weren't really posting it on social media. It was still this taboo thing you didn't talk about. And I, a lot of the, the people that I was talking to were still like sort of the older people from the 80s and 90s that did, you know, kind of this Venice Beach style thing, you know, in California, whatever, like the Arnold life, I guess you could say. But I still kind of saw that boom of fitness pop up into the internet world and how that's crazy now, that whole mm. whole ecosystem. I do see that same sort of spike, especially due to the advances in our technology and how it's programmed so well to keep ourselves on there. And those of us that don't have that growing sense of self-awareness can get programmed unconsciously by the the data that we're consuming, right? There's a great documentary about this social dilemma that came out just now. Uh, But for me, I see like this wave of producing more into this funnel of content that's online for other beings out there where we're doing these types of conversations because I think a lot of things that I've asked you, I think to a degree, it's not like I had a lot of this canned. It's just somehow my being has absorbed this from the ecosystem that I'm in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. it wants to express this with you. And yep. whatever you say is kind of like from your, you know, roots, I suppose. It's like mm-hmm. trees talking to each other, but from like different mm-hmm. ecosystems. <laughs> yeah, yep. If that makes sense. No, I got it. So... Again, man, I really want to thank you so much for just taking the time to be here with me and just spend it with me. Um, it's it's invaluable. It's timeless, and it's it's uh, greatly appreciated. And, and I, in my heart, I feel a lot of love for you. And I, I want to say that it's uh, it's really something. It, it means a lot to me that we were able to talk because, like I think I told you last time when we reached out, I just instantly felt like you know that when I was telling you about that closed eyed experience where you're connected to the universe. Oh, it just felt like like I was just reaching over to like you know yeah. pointers yeah, yeah. to the same. Uh, thing in in hyper whatever dimension anyway <laughs> oh yeah you, you you struck you struck the uh yeah i just kind of like you struck the tuning fork and held it against the body of the yeah guitar. and i was like, Ooh. Yeah. it was great um so uh, any any um closing thoughts before we we get out of here for for tonight and do you do you want to share anything about like is there a name for the book you think, or any? I think you have. Oh, no, there's, no, there's been a name for a long time. Yeah. Right? So tell people is, if they're listening to this what it would be called, and hopefully, if you plan to have it out next year or in a few years, what do you think? Well, so the book is called. Uh, uh, what is it called? 
<laughs> Six years under the same thing. So uh, it's called True Self and the Fragmented World, mm. right? Or but no, it's called the One Piece, the One Piece Puzzle, the One Piece Puzzle, and then that's right? your the One Piece Puzzle. Mm. Meaning, so imagine a puzzle that only has one piece, right? How can it be a puzzle if it only has one piece? It's that kind of paradox is yes. sort of woven into the the One Piece Puzzle, True Self and the Fragmented World, uh, and the Fragmented World refers to the notion that because we don't have a a unified sense of being. Uh, that we have a tendency to get our being by fragmenting the world, by 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 chopping ourselves off from others, and yeah. and having a kind of oppositional relationship with the world, right? So the world fragments into smaller and smaller chunks. You know, the jazz players won't play with the yeah, rock yeah. players. The <laughs> the country western people won't play with the with the Kentucky western mm. country. You know, the different bluegrass players won't talk to each other, right? So you get smaller and smaller fragmentation because people are trying to define themselves in such fine grained ways that they can't relate to others, um, et cetera, because their own being isn't really unified in the first place. Um, so in any case, that's what the, the book is about. And uh, When do you hope to, to have when, it out? Uh, a couple of years ago. Um, you know, the deadline is two years best. So uh, there's no real deadline, but uh, I am uh, confident that the structure is coming together. That's I great. write actually pretty quickly. I have thousands of pages worth of content but to to uh, it's almost more, more like an editing task yeah i feel like that's uh, what it is getting that into a compact form yeah getting what makes sense i've actually written my own software for managing the structure of the things so that i don't get lost where like if you have a concept a yeah and then concept b and concept d b depends on concept a yeah you want to make sure that you them. get a first so how do you rearrange the order of the uh, book if you have those dependencies it becomes a very complex sort of spider web yeah, thing, yeah. right so in order to keep that straight i had to actually write some code that would keep track of where the concepts are order wise to make sure that if i that i gives me that so now i have the freedom to move something through a different chapter and see where it breaks things so that I can go repair those holes. Right. Um, so there's kind of, it's kind of a big job, but, I, but in order to produce a small book, it's, you know, the, 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 the plumbing and the infrastructure around that is actually, uh, you know what that sounds like? It sounds small. like you wrote like a, like a piece of code, but instead of writing code, you wrote all the functions and you just wrote comment blocks and now you're calling and invoking yeah. different things <laughs> something, to something render like up that, different right. scripts. Right, you right. know what I mean? Like just to like make this beautiful thing. I did want to mention one thing before I let you go though. I think yeah. I maybe mischaracterized myself a little bit. So in terms of like, I don't code as heavily as I did before, but I help people leverage the power of coding now through a visual based integrations tool that I, that right, I, right. Know, okay. Per, per, you know, help people with, uh, and and so I do still, to a large degree, I'm involved with engineering. You know, I've engineered this entire studio myself. I created it, and you know the production of it, and also I still help big enterprises with their automation journey or their automating mundane things of that right, nature. Right. And to the bodybuilding thing that you asked me about, I didn't want to say that I'm just completely like a bum. It's not that I I'm continuously trying to keep myself accountable to do the act of task like we talked about at hand without too much like emotion attached to it of any sort because it, mm-hmm. it is good for my both mental and physical well-being but also it can become a, a crutch or a, a source to get carried away and get too much into the the kind of sculpturistic like obsessive mindset that's like that's where bodybuilding is a weird rabbit hole you know it becomes very self-critiquing um uh-huh. so to keep it healthy you know so those are kind of the pillars and then music okay. wise i still you know uh, actively try to play 
more. Actually, I need to play more music. Let's put it that way. But I do have a drum kit in here in the studio that I play with. And, you know, like I, I still try to keep those things. They're almost like my pillars, I suppose, to keep myself balanced. Now right. it's more about creating, like you said, the thing that's bigger than us. So that way the, the efforts towards it are very much not attached to any personal yep. thing, you know, and, and they live beyond us, so to speak. Yep. And so that's, that's, tra- that's transcendent meaning, by the way. Yes, exactly. What you just said, right, is an example of what I mean by transcendent meaning. Yes. There's so much okay. you and I need to keep talking about. Yeah. I love right. this. Thank you so much for being here again. Um, and uh, Thank we'll you. see you soon. Thank All you. Right. It's good to hear from you. All right.